Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I am here with Christopher Wick. So Christopher is a heart-centered entrepreneur with uh, talent for numbers. Yeah. As an entrepreneur who's won over 14 awards and helped 500 companies by the age of 30, Christopher has built, bought, and sold various companies related to marketing, e-commerce, real estate, retail, and investing. Wick's businesses have been featured in the Huffington Post, ABC, NBC, and the Wall Street Select. Currently, Christopher is chairman of Say Yes Enterprises, LLC, a Texas-based investment management company that acquires, builds, and sells companies. Chris has tremendous uh, passion for helping people thrive in their companies, grow their profits, thereby growing their teams, families, and impacting their communities. Welcome, Chris, and thank you for being on the show. Thanks. So glad to be here, man. (laughs) And she'll just have to edit that other part out. That's cool. (laughs) Uh, we are a raw and uncut version. So the first question I always like to ask is let's get people to kind of know you. How did you get into this space and we'll start wherever you're comfortable, but just kind of tell us your origin story and how you got into mergers and acquisitions. Sure. So you're going to love my origin story with M&A and to your listeners, either it's a wonderful hero's journey or it's a cautionary tale. So all throughout my 20s, I built a marketing agency, which I later sold. So all throughout my 20s, I was a consultant and I had the gift of working with over 500 companies and really getting to see behind the screens of what was happening with some of the most successful companies that we know and love. When I was 29 years old, I had an aha moment. And this aha moment, you've had these, your listeners have had these. And my aha moment was this. I've helped over 500 businesses. What if I co-owned or had equity in each of those businesses? What would I look like? What would my career look like? And so at the age of 29, with no training, no experience, no how-to manual, no M&A mentor, I went out and bought my first business because I thought, you know, if I've helped over half a thousand business owners do this all throughout my career as a consultant, I want to do it on my own business. Well, my first business I bought was a raging success. I bought a small e-commerce company, which later became one of my platforms in M&A. And in 11 months, I sold the company to an investor and I tripled my investment. Now in real estate, I couldn't get those returns. In the stock market, I couldn't get those returns. As a consultant, I couldn't get those returns. So I did what any good entrepreneur would do. I said, I want to do it again. And I had such a great success. And then my second deal, I did a partnership. And I thought, well, this is great. I'm going to be able to do even more because I've got a partner. And my second deal, I lost everything. Everything. My entire investment, no success story. And that's when I realized that, okay, I can't do it on my own. I've got no idea what I'm doing. My first one was really successful. And I won't call it luck. I'll just, you know, sometimes things work out and sometimes things don't. But that my second deal, losing everything, was truly my wake-up call. I had a bad deal. I did bad due diligence. I had a bad situation with a business partner. And then I realized 
I need help. And so I Googled like any good entrepreneur would do. And the only place teaching M&A was Harvard. And I'd already gotten a business degree at university. And I couldn't, I couldn't go back. I couldn't go back to school. So I really searched and I dedicated to finding a community and finding a mentor that I could really work under a model after. And I found that in an M&A community and since then, I've done over half a dozen deals. I've got amazing business partners. And really, the reason why I share this story is, one, in the entrepreneurial community, we do a really good job of not talking about the hard stuff. We'll show the fancy cars. We'll show the wealth. And I could talk about my luxury car, my beautiful big house. But I'd rather start off and talk about, in the beginning, I had a really good deal for the first one. And then my second one was a complete disaster, which is the cautionary tale of to work with someone who knows what they're doing, to work with a business partner who's done this before. And now that's the person I get to be because I've done so many deals. I get to mentor people and here's how to do a deal like the first one. Here's how to avoid the failure like the second one. So that's how I got started. And now I really base my entire career around mentoring others. I've got students in MA, I've got partners in MA, and doing things like this to share these stories. That's awesome. I too uh, started off, I was an entrepreneur young, like I was telling you before the show started. Um, wanted to go work for my father in a painting business. He told me no. So I grabbed the lawnmower and pushed it five and a half miles into town, started mowing lawns, right? You know, all the way up to when I was in the military, I even had side gigs. You know, I had a thing called Diamond Gate Networks and we installed networking uh, equipment into schools and fiber and, and you know, you name it. We, we ran the wires and stuff and everything was going great. And I went out and got a master's degree in marketing and I thought I was hot stuff, right? I got my MBA in marketing and uh, created an online dating service and lost everything. Uh, I could not get that thing off the ground. Um pretty close to a million dollars worth of 401k money. And it was, it was right at a million with other people's money, but a large, just to say a large portion of that was everything I had in 401k or think I had in stocks. And I really thought I was going to get it off the ground. And um, you're right. The lesson learned from that was, you know, not everything you learn in school applies directly to you know, at the same scale, you know, my marketing MBA made me an awesome employee for Coca-Cola or PepsiCo where they have $50 million budgets for rebranding, but, you know, trying to brand off the day one off of a shoestring budget and (laughs) it was not the right approach. Right. So I get that. So right now we're in this space where there's a lot of uh, opportunity here in the United States. I just got off the phone or off the uh, live podcast with a guy from the UK. It's the same there. A lot of business owners, or what I refer to, are they're aging out. Uh, they're, I say they're retiring, but you know, entrepreneurs rarely retire. They'll either, uh, you know, work until they can't work anymore, or some life event happens, or the boss at home tells them they need to go travel more, and then they sell, right? But there's this huge opportunity there in this space. What would you say to somebody who's just like looking around right now, thinking, "Do I go create a business? I got this idea, or do I go buy one?" Oh, well, I really respect your story about the online dating service and losing it all because I I can bet with total certainty you learn more in that deal versus your last successful one, just like I did. And here's what I've got to say. With those who are out there questioning, what do I do next? One of the biggest problems with my second deal that I did is it was a startup disguised as a business. 
And startups are very attractive. People are always wanting to ride and bet on the horse that's going to win. I don't invest in startups. As an investor, I invest in history. I invest in historical performance. So for someone who's trying to make a pivot, and you and I both know there's lots of entrepreneurs out there thinking, okay, I've got to start over. And maybe it's the economy. Maybe it's a failed deal like you and I both had. I tell my students and my business partners, the best thing that you could ever do is go buy something that's already working. So if you want to create a fantastic dating service, go buy a service that's already working. If you want to create a great landscaping business, go buy that. And of course, a lot of people have the barrier to entry. How do I afford it? How do I get it? And that's why they work with mentors like you and I. But truly, you're going to shortcut your success by having an existing list, an existing brand, an existing network, because one of the challenging things that people do is they want to go start something new, but they have to start all over in their connections versus already going and and building on success that someone has had. The reason my first deal ever worked really well is because I was able to capitalize on the momentum that it already had. The reason my second deal was such a disaster is it was a startup disguised as a business. There was no momentum. And that cost me a tremendous amount, just like you experienced with your online dating service. It's interesting as I have the same like criteria. I'm looking for something that's been around for more than 10 years, right? I want them to be past that. Uh, what is it? USA statistics, something like 90 something percent of businesses fell on the first five. Um, I want them to have more than 10 employees. And mainly is I don't want to buy myself another job. So I want enough people there that when the owner wants to leave, surely there's somebody there that probably knows how to run that business better than I would. Yeah. Right. And uh, so I'm looking for well-run businesses, been around for 10 or more years, uh, have 10 or more employees. And uh, they, you know, Hopefully they've got some standard operating procedures. They, they, they know what they're doing. Um, often you'll find that, you know, if you find the right one, that business runs better when the CEO has gone, right? If, 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 it's, if it's set up right, when the owner leaves things that, you know, needed to be changed for a long time, but they're still doing them because that's the way they've always done them. That those, those employees will step up and go, Hey man, we've been needing to change this for, for a long time. So um, I see that you actually have a specialty or a passion around helping businesses maximize their exit, right? So what, what does that look like? I, I, I've seen some uh, stuff on your LinkedIn profile that caught my eye about helping people hit their, what do you call it? Their dream number or their uh, freedom number. Yes. Yeah. And, and freedom is why we do any of this. And that, that's why an entrepreneur like you and I, we're going to go push that lawnmower five miles so we can uh, go get the opportunity to be an entrepreneur and, and get that chance to work with dad, the panning company. And so when it comes to freedom, entrepreneurs, we're willing to sacrifice relationships, time, health in order to make our dream happen. The challenge is, is most entrepreneurs get stuck in what I call the hustle trap, which I think is one of the biggest lies ever sold to our society, which is work hard and produce and you'll be valuable. When I work with entrepreneurs to maximize their exit plan, first we identify what is their freedom number or their freedom scenario. There's a scenario I teach to my students called the sunset scenario. What would be the best thing? And I've got to tell you, just like you said, sometimes the best businesses do better when the CEO is gone. I remember when I sold my largest business to date, I, six months later, the company was running better without me because of the, what the new guy was doing. And I thought, wow, I could, this could have been so much easier. But we get in there and we get so consumed with 
How can we work more? How we can we produce more? So one of the first things I do with entrepreneurs is have them step back because when you're in it, you cannot see the forest from the trees. You can't see the marketing that could have worked. You can't see that person that you need to hire. And so it all begins with what I think is the most important question that everybody's walking around with, which is what do you want? Now, there's a loving way to say that, like when I talk to people on conference calls, my first question is always, what would be the best thing that you can get out of our time together today? I'm basically asking, what do you want? Because I want to deliver that. And that's where a lot of entrepreneurs need clarity and understanding how they can get that. A lot of entrepreneurs I meet who want to sell their businesses don't think they can get what they want. And one of my superpowers is creative deal structure, where I make up my life's mission to get my sellers or my partners exactly what they want. So we're both aligned on that. Uh, one of my favorite questions of people, especially when they jump on the on the call and they add a, they have a number in mind, are like, well, you know, my goal in any transaction, even when it was in real estate, is to figure out what it is the other person wants and figure out and, and then work out a way to get them there. So when somebody says, well, I want 1.5 million for my business before they even show me any numbers or anything else, I, my natural without a blink and, you know, or anything response is cool. Let's see how we can get you there. Yeah. Right. And sometimes I was saying this on the previous hour, but uh, sometimes how we get you there is quite simply, you're going to have to grow a bit to get there. (laughs) You know, they're not, it's not in, you know, the number they want is not in alignment with where they're at, but that's not for me to say that early in the game. And uh, some of these guys are getting it wrong. They think they got to jump in and negotiate from day one. From day one, for me, it's build rapport. Figure out where the uh, where the business owner wants to get to, and then how can I get them there? Uh, a lot of times, you'll find out if you really get in the, into these guys' lives and understand that they're business owners. This isn't their first gig, right? I'm talking to a company right now who this is his second company that I know of. He built a flooring company before this, got it up to $6 million, sold it, bought this company that he's, you know, he's bringing to me and uh, he built it up probably close to double the size of it. It's around $3 million a year in revenue. And now he's, you know, going through some uh, family issues and needing to sell it. And I think at the end of this is like, I even said it during our calls, like, look, I want to get through this entire process. Have you really happy with me? Because I know when we, when you leave here, you're going to go create something else. Chances are five to 10 years from now, that's going to be boring or something to you. I like boring. I want you to call me back and go, Hey, Ron, I want to do something else. I built this $10 million roofing company. Do you want to look at it? And, you know, cause the answer is going to be yes. Right. Yeah. So that at the end of the day, whether I buy it or not, or whether I refer it to somebody else or not, I want to make sure that guy gets that I'm in it for them. Yes. And uh, I see that you're the same way. That's like, what can we do to get this guy where he wants to be? So what is a good exit plan look like? Because I think a lot of our listeners out there, they're either buying businesses to exit at some point, or they're already owning a business and they're looking like, what would it look like to sell? And nobody... (laughs) very few people truly have what I would refer to as a good exit plan. You know, they, they don't, you know, unless they've like followed one of the other mentors that are out there, they don't have a data room with PowerPoints and all the stuff they need to have to present well to buyers like you or I. Right. So what is it, what would, what would you look for in a good exit plan? So there's two types of exits. One, there's exiting the business which is selling and uh, you know getting to achieve your freedom number. You get to move on to a new opportunity like that entrepreneur that you're working with. The second type of exit is exiting the org chart. And so when I work with entrepreneurs, 
sometimes people get scared thinking about exiting because they've been a lawyer all their life or they've been a landscaper all their life. They've been HVAC all their life. And so one of the first things I do is I help them understand how can you exit the org chart? So you still own the business, but really how can we create a lifestyle business to where you're not in the day to day? And there's an evil plan behind that. The evil plan behind that is, is if I can help you exit the org chart, something magical is about to happen. Your valuation is going to skyrocket because guys like you and I, we are not going to buy jobs. And I can't tell you how many times I have to have that conversation of, you don't have enough team in place. You're making lots of money. One of the reasons you're making lots of money is because you're not paying payroll. So if we can help entrepreneurs exit the org chart and to imagine a business that runs without them, one, we're going to help them exit no matter what. And number two, we're going to help them achieve their freedom number because their business will actually be a business and not a professional job. It's That's a... That hits a point. There was a there was a business I looked at. I guess it was last year, uh, and uh, I'm friends with. I actually knew this guy previously. He he approached me when I had my real estate business, wanting to be a a, um, a private lender. He's like, you know, we used to wear these shirts as like I, you know hoodies during the winter. We'd wear these giant hoodies. I figure I'm a four and a half. I'm a four X or five X on a good day. I'm a big boy. I might as well be a billboard too. So I used to have this, you know, hoodies that say I buy houses. I probably should make some now say I buy businesses. Yeah. But anyway, I would be at Home Depot and people would approach me like, hey, do you need an electrician? Well, this guy approached us at a Home Depot and said, hey, I own a few businesses in town. Do you need private lending? Do you need mm. money? I'm like, sure. So we took him to lunch and stuff. And one of the businesses he owned, we circled back around when I got into mergers and acquisitions. And uh, his wife really wants him to sell. He's 70 something. It's a, a, a soap line. That's as far as I'll go into that line, uh, organic soap. And uh, they do decent you know, revenue. Um, they built a beautiful house up by one of the lakes and his wife would like to spend some time at it, <laughs> but they're yeah. stuck most of the time closer to the business. Cause, uh, they have a family business. The kids don't want to run it. She's trying to, you know, encourage the sale. When I really got down went into the weeds with it, the guy's really afraid to sell. And I was like, well, why are you, why are you afraid to sell? She goes, every one of his friends, he's 70 something now, every one of his friends sell their business and die within a few weeks. Like he could list off five or six people he knew that died after their life purpose was gone. And uh, so your idea of getting them out of the org chart and still having them see that it's okay and they can have other passions and other uh, things to do um, and work with them through that process might work with him. So that's a, that's a good approach there. Yeah, absolutely. And then you benefit because you can help them create a a valuable business, you know, and there's always with guys like that, there's a, a seller I'm working with right now that's retiring after 19 years sometimes our offer is not to buy them out completely. We'll maybe do 80 or 90% so they can stay involved. So they still have something they can wake up and do every day if, if that if they need that, for example, with people about to retire. So they can still have the identity because like with guys like you and I, our identity is, is totally, totally wrapped up in what we do. And that's a way where you can keep them involved. I love keeping sellers involved. It's really great because they They've got the best ideas. They've been doing the business for 19 years. You might as well keep them on your board and keep, you know compensate them for their time. I absolutely do that. I uh, usually I do at 80 20. I leave 20 percent with them, and cool. uh, you know, and it and it and it actually helps for for those of you guys who are listening getting into this. One of the main reasons I do that is occasionally, especially like companies have been around for 20, 30, 50. Your know, third generation company I was talking to a couple of years ago. They've been around for 63 years, right? When there's a problem with one of those customers that have been with them for 15 or 20 years, they want to talk to the last name that's on that sign. 
right. right? They don't care who, but they want to talk to a, you know, let's say, call it Smith Constructor. They want to talk to a Smith, right? And that's, you know, my wife's maiden name, but not my name. So it won't work, right? Uh, so having somebody there that's, you know, has a vested interest that can go and smooth over some things can be very beneficial in a lot of things. Uh, especially, you know, even like vendors and other stuff yes. when, yeah. you know, you got vendor relations and stuff that have been around for 20 or 30 years. Um, you're the new guy, you know, you could be, you could lose some of your, <clears throat> sorry, you lose some of your vendors when you keep the owner around, you keep that relationship around and it's just, and, um, the, the beauty of it inside of that is the other vendors and other, uh, other customers see it as you're just helping this guy transition and retire and you get a warm-up phase right you get a at some point when they're gone you'll own the whole thing or their kids or their trust i always try to get them to to uh, set up a trust and we move their shares into that so their kids have a say and then i you know there's always an offer to buy them out later sure yeah good deal i like that that's a great approach yeah so um Let's talk a little bit about like the growing. I don't have a whole lot of guys on here. A lot of us buy them and, you know, I have marketing background, but it sounds like you have some experience in like scaling. Are you doing scaling through acquisition, like buying and merging companies together and scaling that way? Or do you go old school too and, and, and just like clean up their marketing, clean up their, uh, all their stuff? Well, but the answer is both. And how this even happened was such a great example of letting the market guide you. When I started my acquisition from years ago, I really thought, okay, I'm going to go out and buy a bunch of businesses, have a bunch of fun. And 90% of the sellers I encountered really didn't need a buyer. They needed a growth partner. And so I was talking to one of my team members and I, I graciously give her credit. And I said, look, most of our people are wanting to partner with us we need to make a program. And one of my team members came up with the gap partner program, the growth acquisition partner program, where we partner with sellers to get them to a sellable stage or to get them to a freedom number. And so we've got growth or a larger business will grow through acquisitions. We'll buy lists, we'll buy other businesses that can feed into that. Or with some of our smaller businesses, it's boots on the ground, understanding paid ads, understanding referral marketing, and truly, that's a sign of a good entrepreneur to see what the market is telling you. And so when I created my acquisition firm, I really thought we'd be doing more buying. And here we are years later, we're still doing more partnering because that's what the market needed. And I make it my life's mission to serve at the highest level. And that's what the market needed. So we partner with people. We help them grow. Scale is a word I tend not to use because I always want to make sure that I help a seller understand what's really going to happen. And I talk about small incremental changes that lead to big growth, like understanding your list and really using that very well, that's free money. Understanding referral marketing and leveraging your partnerships, that's free money. Lots of people will sell you to click buttons and launch ads and make a funnel. But really I start much uh, more conservatively when it comes to growth, because I want to help my business partners maximize their spend and get them more runway. Because if I say, oh, hey, we can grow your business, but it's going to cost you $50,000 in paid ads. That's going to scare people. But if I say, hey, we're going to partner in your first month, all we're going to do is we're going to focus on free money. That's really exciting. Yeah, I like to do the uh, the product grid. If, you, if a company's got more than one line of products, make the grid of, you know, which customers have which ones and then go through and see, well, 
should they have the other products? And you'd be surprised on how many customers inside of some of these bigger companies don't even know that the company in the last 10 years added five different things, the right, product line they right. could use. So there's a lot of, and you know, I don't know how you do it, but a lot of things I want, you know, that we look at is, okay, there's a product of the month. We focus on one line per month and introduce it to every single customer. Yes. You know, and usually, if, you know, depending on the size of the company, you can roll through their whole product line in a year, yeah. right? And uh, every customer at this point knows about every product. And um, then there's always that referral element. So I love that. I love that side of it. So, um, and that's you know, a free, that's free money. That is free money. Like imagining just implementing a product menu by golly, what a great idea because now you're just educating. Hey, we also have this stuff like with the yeah. soap company. I'm sure they've got other things. Yeah. That is a free money technique. And that is where you've got to be creative. I tell people it's easy to click buttons and make funnels and launch ads, but the real creativity and superpowers comes from being creative. Like, Hey, let's do a product of the month and educate people on what we currently have because we don't want to go out and chase shiny objects. Let's do what works. And that's free money. That's, that's a really good example. I love that. They, they, these customers, these are customers. They already trust you. They're already opening right. up their wallet. They're already paying their invoices on time. Right. <laughs> you know, the, there that, that there was a company that we were going to try to turn around. And the first thing I told uh, the partners is like, look, we're going to do a lot of cross marketing for the other products, but we're going to start with everybody who pays their invoice in 60 days or less. Right. Why would I go out and market to people I'm chasing down on 180 and 240 days or whatever, 200, whatever the next one is uh, to get the money? when I've got a list of a hundred clients that pay and buy repeatedly. So that's another one is that like, like your slow pay guys, you don't have to cross market to them right away. You can almost fade them out just by really focusing on like your, your top 20%, right? The 80, 20 principle is a, a, I'm a huge fan. So um, that's, that's, that's great. One of the things a lot, a lot of guys are, are out there. They're, they're looking to buy their first company and stuff. Where does somebody start to learn stuff like that? You have a program. Uh, I didn't even know when we got on here that you actually had your own program. So uh, I'll even ask you here live on the show. Uh, I'm putting together a Meet the Mentors uh, series, a mini series where I'm having uh, a lot of the other mentors on there that have programs. If you want, I'll hold your show, the, the, the canned portion of it to be in that series if you have a program for people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. that can add value to your audience for sure. Okay. So uh, where do they start? I mean, uh, for you, they can. Uh, is it at your sayyesenterprises.com? Is that where they start to, to do that? We'll, we'll put the rest of your contact information up there, but let me double check real quick. Is that the correct one? Yep, looks beautiful. Sayusenterprises.com. And, and just like my origin story, either it's a hero's journey or it's a cautionary tale. And what right. changed my M&A career was by working with people that knew what they were doing. And that's, that's when my career totally changed. Yeah. So with our entrepreneurs, if they want to go into M&A, truly work with someone who's already walked the path. There's a concept I share with my students and business partners is I've already gone down the yellow brick road. I know the shortcuts. I know the long routes. I know the really costly areas walk with me shoulder to shoulder and we're going to accomplish it together. This week I helped an entrepreneur get his very first deal and it was an amazing opportunity for him. And, and I've known him for a very long time and I had a deal come across my way and I remembered him and I said, Hey, let's work together and it's going to be his first deal. And that is, awesome because now I'm a part of his origin story and he'll always be able to share. He did it not on his own, but he did it with help. And 
by golly, in my second deal that failed, I really wish I could have had adequate help. But it was a gift to me because I realized, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm going to go work with people that do. And then I got training. So to date, we've helped, you know, in my marketing career, I helped over 500 businesses market successfully. And now we're helping people acquire businesses and create exit plans. And that's truly liberating. I got introduced last year to a book by Dan Sullivan. Uh, if you don't know who he is, <clears throat> he has a hell of, hell of a coach program himself. And I plug, uh, I should be an affiliate or not. I'm not, I get nothing from this, but I, uh, I plug his book all the time. He's got a book out, out there called who, not how. And I really am trying to own that concept. And the gist of it is, is anytime you try to catch yourself trying to figure something out, chances are you're probably not the right who to be getting it done. So it's not trying to figure out how to do things. It's trying to figure out who would be the, who, who out there already knows how to do this way better than I, I would and would like a piece of the you know action or some money to get it done. And that has helped me tremendously inside of these projects. I don't, I don't go out and buy, you know, these companies. I, I do a lot like you're talking about, um, you know, the, we call them YBOs, work in, buy out. Um, you work for equity. We take a piece of it. We help them grow. And then we either buy them on the other end or we help them exit uh, is our strategy too. But um, it's all about the team. It's all about figuring out, you know, I'm not the best guy at accounting. So who do I know that is, Right. I can put up a website. I'm a ner computer nerd by previous trade, right? So there was a time in my life I worked for the government doing computer stuff. But, uh, you know, I can put up a website, but that's not my that's not my day in and day out uh, efficiency. So who do I know that is? So it sounds like you do the same thing. Um, the other thing I do, and it sounds like you might be the, the same. I'll look at almost any deal, right? There's a few things I'm not that interested in, and that's just because personal biases, I guess, uh, restaurants. Um, here in Oklahoma, I'm not interested in cannabis just because the, it's not federally available and from some of the international projects, I don't want the limelight of being in that business, keeping me from being able to participate in some international projects we've got going on. But uh, other than that, I'll look at anything. And I always tell the business owner, like, look, I want to, I want to talk to you. I want to look through your business. I can't promise you that I'll be your buyer, but I can promise you that if I'm not, I probably know them. Because I reach out, you know, I have this podcast, I have, you know, some other stuff I do, some networking groups that are all mergers and acquisitions guys. Um, I probably know who's interested in your business, even if I'm not. And I learned that in the real estate space, right? When I was doing real estate investing, I would be out there looking at houses and I walked through and I got to this point where I knew what I wanted to keep. Basically, I didn't like to do major rehab. So just paint carpet and I could put an owner in it because I owner financed my houses, right? If it needed more than that, I could walk through there and go, oh, yeah, this is a, this house is for Mark or this one's for Dan. And these are legitimate, legitimate you know, investors that and I knew their math models. So I knew that if I, you know, if we were going to start talking numbers where I needed to get them to make it acceptable for. And, and I'm starting to do that in the mergers and acquisition space. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm starting to learn that, like, look, this business this guy really needs the cash. I know a guy over here that loves doing LBOs. He's looking for one. He's got the credit. He's got the, you know, he's, he's got stuff lined up. He's just looking for the right opportunity. And uh, it doesn't have to be me. I just want to make sure that the business owner gets where they're trying to go. Yes. Uh, so it sounds like you've got that same vision and that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it's like you said earlier with the relationships and I tell sellers, I will make it my life's mission to get you what you want. And if even if I'm not the perfect fit, I can point you in the right direction. I promise you it's going to be a much better direction than on your own. And it's just like with partnerships. I tell my entrepreneurs, 
If you could have done it by now on your own, you would have. It's not a question if you're smart enough or talented enough or good enough. It's just you don't have the people and the processes in place. And that's why you partner with us. Because if you could have by now, you would have by now. And it's not about you or your abilities. It's about you're not knowing which direction to go. And sellers, you know, you and I have got investor networks. Sellers don't have that. So they can really build a relationship and return that good service of making sure this is a really good relationship. They're going to get what they want. Right. So this is an ever-evolving space, mergers and acquisitions. I mean, uh, in the last four or five years, SPACs came back around. People are actually doing you know, the, the SPACs. Right now, there's actually a lot of crypto where they're doing uh, token raises and stuff. I haven't seen anybody do a token raise to buy a business. I'd like to see that occur. But there's, there's just so many different areas in this. You, you, there's the opportunity to stay constantly learning and improving your skill set. What's one area around mergers and acquisitions that you're still curious about and kind of watching and, and, and observing? Ooh, what a phenomenal question. An area of M&A that I'm still working on personally improving is integration. And when we acquire a business, how we help our team integrate it in a way that's going to really uh, make the process very smooth for the seller and also our team. Something I've noticed is one of our challenges is we will take a lot of the burden on in a deal just to make sure the seller has a great experience. So integration, I think, is what we're focused on. And truly, the reason why I mentioned that is one, is being completely authentic, but also two, that sellers have to think about integration. I ask a seller on every first call they have with me or my team is, What's your transition plan? Because you've got to have a really good integration plan. That's what I'm focused on. And I think that's a good lesson for anyone in any stage, whether they're a startup entrepreneur or an entrepreneur that's looking for an exit plan or an M&A person. Because I tell my students in M&A, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Sometimes students get so excited about getting a deal, they'll get a deal. And what happens? It's the dog that's caught the car. And now they don't know, oh, what do we do with this team? Oh, what do we do with payroll? And so it's, you've got to focus on the the long vision, play the tape all the way through, not just focusing on getting your first deal. Yeah. The, uh, uh, one of the mentors I go to call it deal heat, right? You get so excited to get that first yeah. deal done. You get in the middle of something and you're like, what do I do now? Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can get, uh, you know, one way to do, you know, to avoid that is just to really market well and actually have five, six, seven things to look at. Right. The other one is what you're talking about is really, and you should do both. You should have multiple things to look at. So you're not really excited about something you shouldn't be. Right. And, um, that, you know, and then the second thing is you got to know, what is your exit plan? And I would say two to three, like you should have two or three exits sure. out of that. You know, there are businesses that I have acquired and I probably will keep for a, for a longer term. Uh, I acquired them for different purposes. I own a pest control company of all things. Mm. Uh, I did that because I have some relatives that, you know, worked in the industry, wanted to stay working in their industry and their owner was retiring. It's a good little business. It needs to grow. I bought it wrong before I had any training in this. It, I bought a job, right? It's, it's, yeah. So it's one of those. It's fun. You know, we let my five-year-old name it. It's called Lullaby Pest Control, right? She's six now. But uh, uh, when we bought, when we bought the, bought what we bought out of it, the equipment, and everything, we couldn't buy the company just because his licenses and all that were, uh, yeah. I don't think the guy, and I, I don't want to throw him under a bus. Let's just say the liabilities were more risky than, 
you know, just buying the equipment and the, and doing it ourselves. But uh, yeah. So going back to the, like, what are the things people know? Uh, what would you consider, like, what is the top three things you think a, a seller should look at when they're looking at their business, you know, like preparing to sell a business? One thing is history because I tell, I have to routinely tell sellers, do not sell me on the future. That's a total deal breaker for me. I do not care about what you think the future is because if the future is so bright, you wouldn't be selling your business. So let focus on history. That's one. And, and truly understand an investor. They're not buying potential. They're buying what's happening right now. The second thing is having the ability to be flexible. What I tell my sellers very often is if they're willing to be flexible, they'll get very close to their asking price. But if they ask for a ridiculous asking price, cash up front, they're not going to get that deal. And so they're flexible. They're going to be able to get what they want long term. And lastly, is understanding what makes something valuable. And as a real estate investor, so it delights me that you do real estate as well as I tell sellers all the time, just because you remodeled your bathroom does not make you the most expensive home on the block. What makes you the most expensive home on the block is what other homes are selling for. We don't care about how beautiful the bathroom is. We care about the land. We care about the taxes. We care about the area. So history, that's important understanding flexibility to get what you want and being flexible of how you get that. And number three, understanding true value. I'm being featured in a magazine next month and uh, they chose out of all of our articles, understanding business valuations. Other than profitability, what makes my business valuable? And that's a really good thing for a seller. So those three things, if a seller could think about those three things, they would absolutely get the deal their dreams right away. So if I had to, like in, if I had to just somebody say, what to you makes a business most valuable? I would say the revenue, right? It's, it's got to be, there's, there's, a, there's a factor. Money has to be there. Secondly is the systems and processes, right? Um, you know, even with the right people, if, if the owner is the glue that makes everything work and turns all the gears, even with the right people, if the system and processes aren't there, it can fall apart when they're gone. And then third is the team, right? For me, it's like, I want to know, Who's staying? Who's going? Who's just who's still here just because the owner's there and they've been working for them for twenty five years and are ready to retire too, All right? And um, it's like so that you know, as far as what makes it valuable, there's all kinds of stuff that comes in play, right? There's different types of revenue, uh, recurring monthly revenue or recurring revenue um, is uh, to me more valuable than one time revenue. Um, I'm interested in, you know, your attrition rate and stuff. How long does your customer stay? Do they come back? What's the lifetime value of your customer? Because okay. that tells me uh, on the surface level, it tells me how, how well you're doing your job, For right? Sure. I actually had a marketing company of all things tell me that uh, their average uh, customer lifespan, that, like how long a customer stays with them was less than six months. And I'm like, so they're constantly getting new customers and contracts. Now, I'll give him a little credit. His marketing agency only took on um, uh, this new wave of uh, courses, right? So online courses. So you would create an online course. You go to him. He'll help you launch it, create it, and run it. And they have a high failure rate anyway. But to, even in that, I just could not get my hands around. Is like you don't have any customers that are older than 120 days right? That yeah. everybody comes in, they do their launch. Like even, like, even if they were, they, 
I just couldn't get it. We did, we did, we didn't, we didn't offer him anything. We basically ended that call fairly quick, but, uh, and he just thought it was part of being normal business. And that to me, that's not right. I, I think that the numbers in that space are probably, even if they're 95 and five, you should have a 5% retention rate. Right. Um, so that's, that's critically important as a buyer to me is how, how well have your customers been treated? I don't do turnarounds at this stage. I don't think, I mean, I could build a team around it, but if you're spiraling down the drain, I, I just don't, I don't come with a cork. So, <laughs> right. Um, that said, I, you know, all businesses, when they get in that phase of, if the owner's been considering selling for more than a year, there's going to be some, you know, like kind of, they're kicking back a little bit, but what I'm talking about is like, um, you know, like, okay, I've destroyed this thing. I need some help. <laughs> right, for sure. Right. Yeah. right. So do you guys do turnarounds at all? Or you guys look for distressed companies or? Oh, life is too short to do turnarounds or distressed companies. I want to give a shout out to you. We've got a fan. I love this platform model because Bobby Simpson just commented about uh, fantastic motivation. So I'm so glad that your audience is getting value. I love that. But back to your question, uh, life is too short to do turnarounds. There's lots of people super well qualified to do that they can have that risk threshold that is not the path i've chosen in this life my second deal that failed massively that technically could have been a startup in disguise or a turnaround both of which i cannot do <laughs> so the, the two things i don't do is i don't look for turnarounds right, right. i'm not a truck driver i'm not turning anything around right. and the other one is is I like to hunt a little bit, but uh, and I, I might just uh, ostracize some of my crowd there because there's a lot of anti-hunters out there. But I like to hunt a little bit. I like to fish, but I don't hunt unicorns. So uh, the startup world's not my game. If you've got, you know, I, I've got a call to return as soon as we get on here. Somebody left me a voicemail right in between these two podcasts. He said, hey, a buddy of mine told me you invest. Usually those are somebody has an idea and they right. want to get it off the ground. Right. I don't do ideas. Um, I don't think they're valuable at all. Uh, you know, everybody's like, I got a million idea, million dollar idea. Like, no, you don't, <laughs> you know, you've got an idea that could make a million dollars if you get the team, the systems, the process and the customers, right. 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 But there's, I don't believe in, in the, the concept of a million dollar idea. And, um, so, uh, I think there's some brilliant stuff out there. There's some brilliant things that can go there, but if you don't put the, together that team, um, it can hurt you. So, all right. So, uh, I, we talked about a lot of different questions right here. We covered different topics and stuff. Uh, are there, is there any like thing we should really be talking about? There's something that, you know, either buying or selling, buying or selling a business you should really know. Uh, are there any major topics that you, you would like to talk about that I think we've missed so far? For sure. I like that question. That's a great interview question. What have we not covered or what have we missed? One thing that's really showing up with some of my students the past two weeks is action. There's a lot of people out there wanting to create businesses, create campaigns, buy businesses, et cetera. And like you said, there's no such thing as a million dollar idea. I agree with you. What's going to set apart being massively successful versus not having the outcomes that you want is taking action every single day. What I notice with my students, my business partners, is they're one deal away from having the life that they want. They're one deal away from having the income that they want. They're one deal away from having the network that they want. And they have to take action every day to achieve that. This is not this. The M&A community isn't a place where you can sit back and hopefully someone brings you a referral. You have to be out there actively doing that. The two most important things I do in my firm, even as the chairman, 
is deal making and coaching. Those are the two most important things. And in deal making, that's a lot of action. So if there's people listening to this podcast now, one, I want to commend them for investing themselves in their education to listen to you. What a smart choice. And now, based on something that you've heard, take action now. Don't wait. Don't put it on your calendar for next Tuesday. Perhaps you've been inspired to create a partnership, or maybe you want to join our Gap Partner Program. Take action now. Or perhaps you liked some of your criteria with making sure 10 years in business, 10 employees, update your criteria now and go find those people. Here's the crazy thing about our brain is if we don't take action within 72 hours of having an idea, 90% of the time that idea is gone forever. So right now, for the people listening to this, either live or when they're going to get the beautifully edited video later, right now, take action. Send that text message, send that email, make that call to submit your learning in this wonderful podcast. And maybe that's by reaching out to me. Maybe it's by reaching out to our wonderful host, but do something. Awesome. Uh, <clears throat> one of the, you know, it's on the lines of taking action, it's, it's consistency, right? It's, you know, I have people that work, I work with in these mentoring groups and stuff, and I don't, I don't coach or mentor at this stage, but uh, I'm, I'm part of a bunch of networking groups where we kind of peer-to-peer mastermind, we help each other. And, you know, yeah, I hear somebody, well, I sent out 40 letters and I was like, okay, well, you can't complain about sending out 40 letters because the average response rate in, in direct mail is one to 2%. So unless you've sent out 400, right. you probably shouldn't have taken, you know, so it's consistent action. I do, you know, tell people you're out there buying businesses, get involved, have the conversations, meet with people who are in this space. And uh, if you have some reluctancy, uh, you know, I'll share something with you. And if you do training, one of the things I used to train the real estate guys in, I, I jokingly call it my European training model, right? So somebody would call and say, hey, I've been working in real estate for a long time, but I just haven't got my first deal done. And I say, well, how many homeowners have you talked to? Well, I just, I, I'm not, got, well, they're not talking. So if you want to buy a business, you got to talk to business owners. If you want to buy a, a house in a real estate world, you, you eventually have to talk to the homeowner, right? Or people who have houses, so their European training model is this fun thing. We create a list. Uh, I start off. I get the phone out. I set us everybody on a conference table. We usually do these live because you kind of have to be there. And uh, I'll call the first two or three. We'll, they'll hear the conversation. They hear it. And then I dial the phone for the third or fourth one, and I slide it to the next guy, and I go, you're up. <laughs> it's my European training model, right? It's like, you're up. You're up. You're like, I don't know what to say. I don't care. Order. I don't care what you say. Order a pizza. Right. Yeah. You need to pick up the phone when they answer and, you know, and say hi. And then the next time they call, we can we can we can go a little further. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I don't advocate inside of this space. I haven't picked up cold calling business owners. You know, oh. uh, um, it's not I don't think it would be a bad thing. I haven't I haven't tried it. Right. But uh, the the concept of just constant action, making sure you. If you're if you don't have a stream of two or three businesses to speak to every week, right. you're gonna have a hard time finding a good deal, right? Because there's just there's some stuff you have to sort through. It's almost the real estate space. Like you gotta look at a hundred, make an offer on five, and you'll 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 win three and you cherry pick the one you want. Right. You know, it's just, I, I still think it's that way. Um so if you I, consistent action is what I would say. I, I would agree with that hundred percent. 
every day, every single day. And, and like forcing the call, the phone so they can do their cold calling. I love that. And in M&A, cold calling or cold reaching out works wonderfully if you have the right script and if you're constantly doing it like with example if he gets out 40 letters try 4,000 last week I personally sent out 1,002 reach outs cold and I was able to measure my response rate and one of those reach outs led to this podcast interview like this is proof now this right. wasn't a deal I was looking for but great things happen to those who take massive action. And there's a, right. a great uh, comment from Bobby in the, the LinkedIn chat for smaller companies looking for growth coaching. Do you have suggested communities? And my recommendation is, is reach out now, either to myself, either to Ronald, but right now reach out and say, Hey, I am raising my hand. I want to grow. Y'all seem super smart. Let's take action. I love that question, Bobby. That's an example of taking action. He's listening. So you've got a really good student. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I, we're getting towards the, the top of the hour here. Um, I want to put up your LinkedIn connection because uh, that's where we met. And I yes, think it's a great yes. place for people to meet you. Um, yes. Double check that for me. Make sure that's right. Yeah, I think that's, that's it. Wonderful. And that is the best place to reach me that or email. And yeah. uh, that's wonderful. I love it when people reach out via LinkedIn. Yeah. I will give a, a, a little secret thing there. Uh, LinkedIn outreach really works. That's uh, we, we, Yes. We were fulfilling our entire, uh, one of the big roll-ups we were working on. I would say 80 to 90% of our leads come from LinkedIn. Yes, I love right? it. So it's, uh, it's business owners. There are some, like from my pest control company, uh, I'd love to buy some competitors here in Tulsa just to grow that so I, I don't have to work there. I can have somebody else do all the work. No. But, uh, you know, they're not on LinkedIn actively, right? There are, you know, but if you're like... It was beautiful for the marketing thing we were doing because all the marketing companies are there daily, right? Because they're using it. So uh, if your user's on there and they're active, that's a great way to to, to reach out. So if somebody's looking for a, a place to start, um, I use the LinkedIn Sales Navigator and I just reached out to people in my industry and say, hey, I'm looking, you know, looking to acquire something in your space. You know, are you interested in chatting with me? And um, you, you'd be surprised at the response rate. Yeah. So. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And it's been such a pleasure to chit chat with you. Awesome. Well, we'll wrap this up and hang on a few seconds after I hit the end button okay. and we'll chat. All right. Thank you for everybody for listening. And uh, this was uh, Christopher Wick with SayYesEnterprises.com. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurial Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer -peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T I E pm.com and check out the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind.